you jackass. Welcome to the Jackass Critics Podcast. With your hosts, Tom and Matt. Hello, and welcome to the Jackass Critics Podcast, presented by jackasscritics.com. I'm Tom, and I'm joined by Nat, by Matt. Bronichiwa, brother! Ah, bronichiwa, sir, and that's very yeah. topical, since you managed yes. to find yourself in the land of the rising sun. Yes, I, I, am in, uh, I am in sunny Japan right now. Actually, I should say overcast and rainy Japan. All right. Uh, I'm here for my real job, and yeah. I am uh, podcasting... Approximately 16 hours away from you, Matt. That's crazy, and that's dedication right there. And yeah, we've we've been away for a while and come through adversity uh, of no real adversity whatsoever. But we're back. Uh, we we all have. Japan. Yeah, we all have our own lives. We all have yeah. uh, a lot of work that we're trying to do, and we enjoy doing the podcast and enjoy doing it when we get the time to do so. I know, Matt, you've got busy job and a busy life, and I myself <laughs> yeah. have the same thing. We just love doing the podcast whenever we can, though, and we think we've got a good one for you today. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, this movie definitely uh, pushed some buttons on me, and we'll talk if they're good Push or bad, buttons. but uh, yeah, we'll... we'll and- and the movie Matt is talking about is Pick Up on South Street, directed by Samuel Fuller. Mr. Fuller. And um, I'd like to remind you all, yeah, we will be talking about that in the second part of the podcast. We'll be starting the first part of the podcast with our signature segment, Bullets in the Chamber. Yes. I'd like to remind you that you can check us out at jackasscritics.com. I think we hit a 10-year anniversary since the last podcast. Is that correct? That is correct, Thomas. 10 years going strong. Yeah, January 2002, we were busting around the idea and... And we were January 2012, still going strong. Ten years ago, we got that tattoo that said jackasscritics.com and had our name attached to multiple reviews. And well, it was the heart, and I got the left side of the heart, and you got the right side of the heart. So when we push our huge biceps together, it, it makes one full tattoo. Yeah, exactly. So our huge, cool. muscular, greased-up biceps Yes. coming yeah, together so. as Jackass Tom and Jackass Matt, which... It's also our Twitter handle. You can find us on Twitter, Jackass Tom and Jackass Matt. Yep. Get all of our Jackassy updates, and of course, you can like us on Facebook. We like to be liked. Yeah, and come I'm visit us. Hoping for some cool Japanese movie-related tweets coming out of uh, Japan as well. Tokyo, nonetheless. I am in Tokyo. I don't know how many. Uh, well, I can give you one uh, one Japanese-related movie item right yeah. now. I was in the Family Mart yesterday, and there were a number of movies for sale Okay. Uh, for 1,000 yen apiece, which is roughly about $12. Okay. And number one, uh, or I should say, on the top of the stack was yeah. a little movie called Home Alone 4. Oh, Jesus. They made four? Is it yeah, relatively I, new? I think it's relatively new. I, I've seen this cover recently, maybe floating around the Twitterverse, but okay. uh, seeing it in Japan... Uh, on top of the pile, next to you know Valentine's Day, yeah. that brought a smile to my heart. Maybe I'll even purchase that for uh, <laughs> a certain someone in my life. Yeah, Home Alone Four, just a way to say you know, I'm sorry, I'm so far away. <laughs> Did you exactly. apologize to everyone in the store that uh, we America has produced four Home Alones and there's yeah. no end in sight apparently? I bowed several times and repeated, "So sorry, so sorry." Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I'm curious, what what's big in Japan? I mean, are there like movie 
posters around or billboards or anything like that? Are they all American movies or are they? Uh, all the posters I've seen so far have been of Japanese movies. Okay, um, cool. Like I said, the DVDs I saw, I think just about all of them in the convenience store were American films. I don't okay. know, I haven't seen a whole lot about movies around here yet. Haven't passed by a movie house. I have passed a Disney store, and there is a Disneyland or Disney World nearby okay. that I hear a fellow coworker went to. A fellow yeah. Chinese coworker, I should say, right. from from China. So maybe he was interested to see that. But yeah, I was laughing about that. With, curiosity. What's that? Did he enjoy himself in Disneyland Tokyo? I have no idea. This All was right. on a, a previous trip that he oh, went I there. See. So I yeah. But uh, anyway, sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, no nope. movie scene in Japan. Yeah, I, in Japan, Tom, Tom Jackass Tom. Yeah, yeah, I'm here for Jackass critics. No, that's a lie. <laughs> yeah. Our our budget didn't really fulfill this no, trip. I'll say not that. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. We're working on it though. First T-shirts, then trips to Japan. Now, first the podcast listeners send us money sight unseen. Yeah. And then. Come the t-shirts. Then Japan, all right. Then, then Japan. That sounds In hard. that order. Yeah, but I'm glad we worked that out now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we needed that business plan, and we got it settled here. <laughs> Done, yeah. Advertise to you, the listener. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Yes. Hear what we have Do to that. say. Do that. Okay, Matt. Yes. Time for bullets in the chamber. All right. I mean, everyone likes bullets in the chamber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've, we've got that real gun sound in there, too. It's not just the, you know, no, gunshot yeah, from a John Ford film. Pew, pew. It is, like, a serious Glock going off. <laughs> we're, we're, we're 2.0. We're a revolutionary podcast. <laughs> One podcast at a time, yeah. Yeah. So for the first bullet, I just want to talk about my flight to Japan. And I know it's, it's easy pickings. It's fish yeah. in a barrel, too complain about a flight, especially one in economy, and um, one going on a 12-hour flight. Long time, yeah. Long time. Um, but it, it's a film-related complaint. Right, right. So, I was on a flight, and there were four movies not selected by me. Yeah. They were, were the movies... to these, being subjected to them. It's like a lab experiment, which is the great. films you were subjected to in economy, because you don't have the remote to switch to the other four films that are playing at the same time. So, let me go in order the movies that were playing on this flight. Okay? Right. Keep in mind, this is February. It's Oscar season. All these right. movies for the Oscars have already gone through the, the theaters, yeah. and could potentially be on DVD and Blu-ray, and previewed for me the viewer right something like Moneyball could have been yeah, on the plane could have been I mean could Brian have been. Pickens why wouldn't you and I, every time I go into flights they tell me about how they're going uh, high highbrow now and they're catering to what people actually want so I'm expecting some good selections here so here's what the people want Matt yep number one Footloose uh Kevin Bacon no, no, no. This is New Footloose. I don't know who the hell's in the New Footloose, but it's an yes. MTV movie. Yeah. Um. I don't know what one would be worse if it was Kevin Bacon Footloose or New Footloose. I think I'd rather see the Kevin Bacon Footloose. Um. Yeah. So I I did put the headphones on for like the first ten or fifteen minutes. Of <laughs> I'll Footloose. say you were still in the the idealized stage of the flight. Like, hey, this isn't too bad. I'll just put the headphones on and. You know, your soul hadn't been fully crushed yet, I'm going to imagine. Yeah, I decided I would take a bullet for jackasscritics.com, and I thought, you know, maybe at the very least I'll be able to 
pull a review out of this. Right. Uh, you know, it's a free movie they're giving me. Maybe I'll be able to write up something uh, intelligent on it. You're obligated, and yes. I dropped the headphones after about 15 minutes. Oof, yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty rough. Um, it was at the point... So, yeah, the movie starts. It's you know, this movie about you know, giving up our rights and you know reacting to a horrible scene and reacting in an extreme way, right? This little conservative town in Texas takes away the rights of the children to dance to music. A timeless story for the ages, Tom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Because there was a drunk driving accident that killed four people in high school, and they were at a dance and drinking, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I'm ruining anything in the film because this story's been around for quite some time. Right. But... Yeah, so that's the story. And, of course, there's a rebellion. There's a kid from Boston who is the out-of-towner, and right. he's too school, too cool for school, that type of guy. Yep. And, you know, I got to this point in the movie where, you know, the preacher's daughter is going to this dirt track NASCAR type event. It looks like 1980s NASCAR with these yeah. old cars flying around on this dirt track, and the race ends, and her boyfriend's driving the car. She's there with her friend, she goes out, and the friend gets all pissed off because she left her there by the track while she goes to hug her boyfriend. And at that point, I'm like, what the hell is going on with these people? You know, like, she, like, storms off. Why are we even friends if you're just going to leave me there? Wow. Estrogen. Flowing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 my brain nearly exploded at that point. <laughs> what that kind that of reaction? Who reacts like that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm tired of playing second fiddle. I'm afraid you're not going to be my friend. <sighs> and, yeah, I threw down the gauntlet at that point and plugged yeah. in a better movie. And, okay, so Footloose, followed yep. by The Big Year, okay. as reviewed on jackasscritics.com by one of our newer reviewers. Captain Video, yes. And I know he gave it a, a five of a five. middling yeah. average review. Uh, yeah. Tom's. And you're a I, Steve Martin fan, so... Yeah, uh, I was a Steve Martin fan ten years ago. Yeah. Um, and anything recent and new is very difficult to watch. This this movie wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. Yeah. When I originally saw previews for this movie, yeah, I had in my mind this is a one out of ten. You yeah. know, this is going to be bad. This is about people watching birds, and I thought it was going to be some stupid comedy with Jack Black falling off a mountain as he's trying to catch an eagle or. Something crazy and stupid like that. Yep. Uh, it's done by the director of Devil Wears Prada, for yeah. whatever that means. Yeah. I actually found myself a little bit more interested in this movie than expected. I still only won't give it a three or a four because it's about people who are obsessed with bird watching. Yeah. And how into a movie can you get if it's just about bird watching? Stuff. And the ways they elevate it, I would say, are that they have a lot of locations they're shooting at that are absolutely beautiful. They go to all these different parks. The theme of the movie is this, or the the plot of the movie is this. There are these three guys who are competing in a year to see who can spot the most birds. Different birds or something like that? Yeah, different species of birds or whatever? Yeah, Yeah, it starts from January 1st and December 31st, and I guess there's this birding magazine. But these guys are just all into it. Like... Jack Black's phone ring has uh, everybody knows about the bird, the bird, 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 right? So yeah. these guys are just totally obsessed, and it's really a movie about their obsession, how it affects their lives in a positive and a negative way, 
how you know they're going for a world record you throw away your family for a year because you're going for something that's quote unquote a world record yeah that part of the story uh, it was alright I mean <laughs> all right, it, yes. it, it got a little bit overblown at points Jack yeah. Black is really hard to watch as a normal dramatic actor if he's not going over the top for some sort of comedy scene I have like a hard time. anywhere else to go basically yeah He's just really kind of a bad actor. I, I will say this, though. Anytime you watch Jack Black in a movie yeah. where he is, quote-unquote, romancing up an actress, yeah. you know, I always think that's a plus one for everybody else. I agree. It's plus one for the old, uh, the chi, or your internal self points. Yeah, yeah. So that guy's doing it. I can do it, too. In the end, he bags yeah. Rashida Jones. Oh, so there nice. you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's a plus one for... Every other guy out You're there. Me there's a chance, yeah. You're like telling me there's a chance, yeah, because it's Jack Black looking sloppy, looking at birds. He finds yeah. out that Rashida Jones is also obsessed with birds and makes these weird bird calls during the movie. <sighs> yeah, I was yeah. expecting to give it a one. I'd probably give it a three or four. All right. So yeah. big year. That was number two. All right. So over two for something that Tom, Jackass Tom, would find palatable. But you're keeping up the good work. Yeah. So number three movie. Real Steel. <laughs> Which has just been the punching bag of Jackass critics since... Even before it was released, we were yeah. making fun of it. So, at this point, I'm trying to not throw up on the plane and trying to get rid of a headache, and... I actually had three seats all to myself, so I was trying to stretch out over those, which wasn't uh, tough because yeah. the knees are still bent. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And um, I didn't put the headphones on, but I watched a little bit. Yeah. And exactly what, what I thought I it was. Did, yes. Within so, those 20 yeah. minutes that I watched, it's exactly what I thought it was. Granted, I wasn't listening to anything. Maybe that changes something. But for anyone out there who's telling me that Real Steel is like, really going to tug at your heartstrings... Yeah, I mean, granted, I saw a small sampling, but yeah. I'm still willing to bet that I'm right, damn it. Yeah, now, if you thought you were 11, do you think you would have found something something worthwhile there? 11 if I'm 11, down? Yeah. if I'm 11, this movie's an 11, damn it, because yeah. there's robots just pummeling each other. But yeah, one of the scenes I saw, there's this robot, they're in this sort of, I don't want to say post-apocalyptic area, but it looks like... You know, it's the middle of nowhere, and this guy who's controlling the other robot has a big mohawk, okay. and he's sort of throwing his fists up in the air. And this yeah. robot is obviously like the Goliath to the Hugh Jackman robot, Hugh Jackman's David. Robot, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh. At this point, they're still using remote controls, and Hugh Jackman isn't jumping ten feet in the air and doing a 360 punch. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah. Um. <sighs> Just watching the way the scene played out. It's just so cliche. This robot has like a hammer for a fist. It's just pummeling the other robot like, you know, like yeah. the Russian is, or Drago is beating up Rocky. Nice, yeah. And then somehow at the count of nine, the robot gets up and essentially with two fists pummels the big robot in the testicles. <laughs> That's robot testicles? And so may maybe the brains of the robot are located in the testicles, so the robot kind of shuts down, and then it yes. knocks it down again, and the thing is sort of malfunctioning, hitting itself in the head, doing some sort of slappy thing. Nice. And I don't need volume to watch this. Yeah. yeah. Or Got an idea audio. what's going on there. There's, 
I, got I no hope there was the sound that made like a, a, a high pitched ding sound when he hit him in the in the yeah. robot testicles. By the way, ding. When he and everyone everyone gasps and gulps when they see this. Like Correct. they just got hit in the robot testicles. They, their robot testicles were, are retracting. Yes. That must have hurt that robot. It's sympathetic yeah. pain, exactly. Yeah. Robot testicles. Ow. Yeah. So awesome. maybe I'm a bad person for rolling my eyes at the cliched clichédness of real steel and how goofy I think it is, but yeah, well, I mean, if they told gravy. me that it was great for 11-year-olds, that, that I can believe. But I mean, there was marketing campaigns and people that are pro real steel will tell you, no, no, it's a movie for the ages, and there's something mm-hmm. for you to pull away from that as an adult, Tom. And it's a game changer. Yes, yeah. I, I learned that I got to cover up my robot testicles if I get into a knockdown drag-off fight. That's what That's I right. learned from. Next, right. what's 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 lucky number four? Uh, so the last movie as we're descending into the airport is One Day. One Day. What's One Day? Do you even day? know what that's about? No, Thomas. Have you even heard of it? I have not. There's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. So again, I'm at the point where I've been served my last meal. I took a bite out of uh, one of the dumplings, spit it out because it tastes like it wasn't even cooked. It smelled, it reeked, so I'm very sick at this point. So I don't even want to put my headphones on. I'm just sort of watching what's going on. And I will say this, Anne Hathaway was in a bathing suit for part of the movie. Nice. It was very appealing. Yes. Very appealing. Um, And it's a movie, uh, just going through the IMDb reading, is about uh, one day, the same day, that she meets this other dude, Mr. X. I don't know what his name is. And then that day every other year after it, maybe going back and forth to see what their lives are like. Oh, that's kind and of interesting sounding. It sounds interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I was getting... Does she I, always I wear was, a bikini that day? Because that would be much more No. I, I don't think it was a bikini. I think it was just a, a one-piece. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's dramatic. Uh, well, it's like movie. Out of the, of, out of uh, the four? The plot of Serendipity, which uh, had the famous jackass critic's punchline of... Serendip shitty. <laughs> sir, yes. Uh, I hope we meet again someday, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yes, continue. One day. Yeah, it, no, it, it sounded much better than that. It, yeah. it wasn't like these people are trying not to see each other, yeah. but giving them an out to see each other in New York, like in Serendipity. Like, yeah. if it really works out, you're going to find this piece of paper that I just threw up the Empire State Building, and it means, you know, it's not yes. like that. It yeah. didn't seem like it was like that, at least. I've been leaving breadcrumbs like that around town all for years, and nobody's ever come knocking at my door. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yep. exactly. If you have a Girl Scout outfit and you're available next Friday, knock at my door and I will answer. <laughs> no one's ever taken the bait, so apparently yeah. Serendipity and me aren't getting along. That's right, that's right. Things are different in Michigan, that's for sure. <laughs> that's true, yes. Yeah, that can be construed as something else. So uh, right. that that movie, I... Uh, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to think if I would want to see that movie again. I think if it was on, if uh, you know, it was with the wife and she was yes. very interested to see this movie. Right. I think I could definitely sit down. If you put the four movies in front of me, <laughs> I could possibly watch the big year in its entirety. I probably saw about half of it. Yeah. It, like the locations were interesting to me. Yeah. But the fact that they're just, like, talking about birds the entire time, like, who thought this was a good idea? Yeah, I mean, movies have managed to make topics much more interesting through interesting uh, use of them or whatever. Uh, yeah. Like Drumline, for example. Just kidding. Just kidding. I didn't Ooh. really love Drumline. I'm sure it's no. a fine movie, but, no. you know, you sure can elevate something that's not a particularly interesting 
So, for example, I saw the the Black Swan recently, which I was raving about, and I certainly have no interest in ballet per se, but they or swans, to, or swans for that matter. Um, but they managed to make it uh, certainly very interesting and compelling. So I think you could make a movie where your protagonist is, is a bird watcher, and but the movie can't be about bird watching. That is where you set yourself into troubled it's waters. It's just non-stop. Bird. They never get away from the birds. It's one year of, oh, I got a call from someone, and there's this park in Virginia that has a red-crested breadcrumb seagull... Thing. Yes. Let's yeah. <laughs> Let's get on a plane and go there. Oh, this yeah. is Bird 720. Awesome. High five. You know. Yeah. You just can't make that the focal topic. I mean, it can be the the story, but it can't be the focal yeah. topic of the movie. For goodness sakes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the one day sounds like definitely the sort of movie that you know if you're with uh, Mrs. Jackass Tom or a lady mm-hmm. friend, and uh, I mean you could do it far worse, you know, beaches or whatever, um, <laughs> female-friendly <laughs> movie. Um, so yeah, that one sounded pretty interesting at the very least. Yeah, yeah. All right, that was my bullet, Matt. Yeah, well, we'll do a total 180 on your experiences and uh, the flick I most recently saw. Uh, Ghost Rider 2, Tom, 3D. Wow. So <laughs> You saw it in 3D? I did. Um, now, so Nicolas Cage was literally three feet from your eyes. He like was, he was, and he was like he was whispering in my ear at the same time. Whispering same. and then shouting and then whispering again. He lost his shit in this movie a lot, Tom. Yes! So you're ha- going to be happy to hear that. Yes. So well, the situation was, uh, I'm, I'm renting a house right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gentleman that owns the house uh, wanted to swing by. There was a few repairs that uh, needed to be done. So I found myself in a situation, very nice guy, nice to chit-chat with. Um, but, you know, if I could go out and do something and I come back and the house is magically repaired, all that much better. I just think like a genie came in and fixed everything while I was gone. It's spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's a good I'm way to live. Mm-hmm. And I know you're a, you're a landlord yourself, so you know, mm-hmm. you're in a similar situation. So I ended up uh, talking myself into... I thought I was going to ironically be buying this ticket. You know, I, I don't really want to see Ghost Rider 2, but for the sake of our listenership and our readership, I'm going to ironically spend $13 and go see Ghost Rider 2. But you are also a fan of the... What do you call it? The visual books? Yes. The comics? comics. You don't like to call them comics, though. What are they called? Graphic novels, Tom. Oh, graphic novels. That's pretty (laughs) close to visual books. It is. I absolutely knew what you were driving at, so maybe Mm -hmm. we started a new theme here. Uh, So, and I really didn't even like the original Ghost Rider movie at all, but I was drawn a little bit to Ghost Rider 2. It's from the directors of Crank and Crank 2. Uh, There's Uh, two guys that direct those movies. Yeah. Um, so those are pretty hyperactive movies, you know, very visually stimulating. Maybe a little too MTV uh, for a lot of people's taste, which I can completely mm. understand. But you, you can't deny that, that the action per minute is pretty high in those sorts of movies. Yeah. Um, and then the guy that wrote uh, Blade, which is you know generally considered a pretty good comic book movie if you like comic book movies, uh, wrote this one. So okay. not a bad uh, lineage, uh, parentage, if you will. Um, so I figured, all right, it's worth a shot. The movie was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, really good. Super hyperactive. I, I was surprised. Very funny. Uh, Nick. They really told Nick Cage to, to roll it out. Um, and I listened to a few uh, interviews and read a few interviews with the, some of the directors, or the one director, gentleman, uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Taylor, I believe. 
Um, and, you know, he was t- telling stories about how he was trying to encourage Nick Cage to more or less lose his shit. And I think he even used that phrase once or twice in interviews. <laughs> uh, and it's amazing yeah. how self-aware Nick Cage is because, you know, his response was, I've pretty much lost my shit, you know, every way possible. I don't think I can lose it anymore. Uh, so they managed to coax some interesting things out of him. Um, but what really struck me as interesting is um, he was talking about their plans to release the movie on Blu-ray, and um, they're going to actually release it without the flaming head, um, you know, uh, effect. So pretty much every I've time heard you of see, this, yes. yeah, every time you've seen Ghost Rider in, in at least in two, and maybe in one as well, but in two, you know, it's actually Nick Cage. Not a much of it is you know pure CG. It's Nick Cage riding a motorcycle, et cetera, et cetera, and then they will CG on the flaming skull because Ghost Rider is this skeleton that's on fire. Yeah. Um, so basically, the idea is that you get to see Nick Cage losing his shit, and he's definitely hamming it up, you know, tremendously while he's in. Ghost Rider mode since he kind of switches back yeah. and forth. Um, so I just thought that was a really neat idea and just another example of, you know, kind of fan service, I guess, you know, giving somebody that's truly interested in the flick, uh, you know, something they want to see. So well, I thought that was some, kind of nifty. It's something for people who are fans of Nick Cage being a total goof ass, too. Yes. Because, you know, th- like you said, Nick Cage losing his shit. This is like a YouTube video that's probably been passed around a million times. Yes. And it's just splices of him going completely insane, you know, zero to 60 in yeah. five Drop seconds. Yeah, exactly. Just going, you know, oh, bees, ah, yeah. Yeah, and it's absolutely universal because, I mean, yes. even my mom has seen Nick Cage movies, and I'm sure she's noticed at times, like, why is he acting insane just at the drop of a hat? He just goes yeah. nuts. So, yeah. I mean, everybody loves to pick up the movies, you know. Oh, I know that movie. I remember that movie. So, it's fun. Yeah, even movies where he just plays a mild-mannered husband of somebody, you know, yeah. the weatherman or whatever. The weatherman, exactly. He eventually just drops off the deep end and starts going nutter butters. But <laughs> what's interesting here is that the directors and even Nick Cage are sort of acknowledging this, yeah, pandering exactly. to it, taking it to another step and just sort of allowing it to evolve into something greater. Like Nick Cage is becoming his own character in real life and behind the scenes of this movie. Exactly. Yep, exactly. I find that very interesting. I think it's going to be interesting because I, I do think... He, and I don't, you know, think very much deep about what actors do and how actors act, but I, I'm sure that he lets the restraints off even a little more when he knows, okay, my head's going to be, you know, CG'd with a flaming skull, so I'm going to yeah. really oh, yeah. <laughs> over the top even more so that I'm not really comfortable doing, even though, oh God, obviously he's lifted a lot of the barriers of what he's comfortable doing, but still he gives that little bit extra knowing the fact that, you know, it's going to be covered up. So I'm kind of curious to see just how much more over the top Nick Cage can possibly be. Yeah, his eyes are probably crossed 25% of the time. Um, <laughs> Just in a, out yeah. of the struggle of, of pushing it to be Nick Cage, exactly. His mouth is wide enough to put a honeydew melon into. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, He's just going to be completely off the deep end. And what's going to be funny, too, is that you know this is a point where he should be, quote-unquote, the ghost rider and flaming skull and everything, but yes. without that effect, it's going to look like something didn't go off right. Yeah, what's, <laughs> what's going on here? Why is he acting so funny, exactly? Yeah, it's it's going to become comical. I, I think that's incredible. It's almost like a separate movie. Yeah, it, yeah, so, it will you know. be, really. Just something worth watching in and of itself, exactly. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to that, and I'm going to check that out when it hits the Blu-ray. Good movie, too, surprisingly enough. Real funny and uh, lots of action, so... 
scale of one to ten, which is what we use on JackassCritics.com. I you want to sign up for anything? I was going. It's either an eight or a nine, honestly. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Really good, really good flick. Do you like the comic, by the way? Not particularly. Not a real go- huge yeah. Ghost Rider graphic novel, comic book fan. And yeah. the first movie was pretty much crap, and uh, this one <coughs> was really did good. A switch of directors and uh, a good writer does a lot of magic work, apparently. Wow. And okay. it, it sounded like it was sent out to die, even. Uh, one of our fellow podcasts in the world, uh, How Did This Get Made, which is, I think you introduced to me, or vice versa. You introduced to me, yes. Hilarious. And they had the director, uh, the Taylor guy on there, to interview him. Um, and it almost sounded like the movie was kind of sent out to die. I read some articles that um, the license for Ghost Rider was going to... Um, revert back to Marvel if Sony didn't make a movie so they really wanted to make a movie but they didn't want to spend any money on it um, so they, everything is filmed in somewhere in Eastern Europe um, and he said he had a budget that was basically on par with the Crank movies which is basically no budget so they more or less going into it I was expecting a horrible movie that was made just for the sake of keeping the rights basically you know something sent out to die Yeah. Uh, but it was very enjoyable good alright good Give me your next bullet, Tom. Make it good. My next bullet. Okay, so that. this is a, a topical bullet. This is... We got the Oscars coming up. Oh, yeah. Did I slur like that? that? Got the Oscars coming up. Uh, we've got the Oscars coming up, 2012. Yeah. Uh, at the time we're recording this, I think it's... Well, I'm, I'm on a Saturday here, so it's going to be tomorrow night for me, or right. tomorrow, two days for you, whatever. Yep. So I just wanted to run through the list of movies that are nominated for Best Picture and uh, see which movies the two of us have seen, get some impressions. Matt. Yeah. So let me run through them. The movies Now, are you going to stop at, at five, or are we going to do like a Baker's Dozen or whatever the, the stupid Academy allows now? Oh. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I guess uh, it's no, no fewer than five. Five, no more than ten, but it can be anywhere in between. Because this year there's nine. All right, that really irritates me. By the way, I mean, yeah, you, it's just like a I'm sorry card or whatever for the the movie that was number six, which I understand. But yeah. Uh, anyways, all right, continue. No, no, I, I I'm a I little late, I guess, to that to be outraged over this. It's, yeah, you know, that passed me by a long time ago, but it's still bugs me, and I don't even really care that much about the Oscars, but that just seems silly anyways. Right. Give me the give me the top nine movies of 2011. So there's Real Steel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just nice. kidding. Toss it out. Toss it out. <laughs> uh, the Artist, okay. Midnight in Paris, yes. The Descendants, Descendants Moneyball, yes. The Help, Tree of Life, War Horse, and extremely loud and uncomfortably close, or whatever oh, really? that movie's called. Yeah. So, out of all of these, I have seen the first four I mentioned, which are The Artist, Midnight in Paris, The Descendants, okay. and Moneyball. Wait, I missed Hugo. Hugo's in there as well. Yeah. Dagnabbit. And I haven't seen oh, Hugo, but so that's that on my list. 10, yeah. I guess we're at 10 then, right? Is that 10? I thought there was 9 this year for some reason. Oh, was that Did 9 I? with or without Hugo is the question, I guess. Oh, Hugh, Hugo I thought made it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Hold uh, You saw the first four, eh? Yeah, I saw, I saw the first four. And to be honest with you, I don't know what I would pick for Best Picture. I, I think the artist is... Um, the one that I like the best out of all those. Yeah. But whenever I think of Best Picture, I try to think of something grandiose or something big or some movie that I watched that I just got completely blown away by. Yeah. For example, let, let's go back. I know 
it's a Coen Brothers movie, um, not Fargo, but uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. You know, I watch that movie, and I think, now, damn it, that is a really good movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be grandiose. It just has to be, it has to have some staying power and something that sticks with you. I, right. I mean, I think a real personal story that's well told, you know, is certainly Oscar worthy, but, um, yeah, I'm sorry to just riff on what you were saying. No, no, no. Yeah. So, yeah, what I said was, uh, that was nine, and Hugo okay. was in there, and I just left it off first. Time, uh, so. Um, yeah, so I saw The Descendants. I'll just go through them one by one. Please. The artist, I think, out of all of them, the ones that I've seen, that's probably the one that I would say is for best picture. I haven't seen Tree of Life, yeah. which I hear is very good, and I know you loved it, Matt. Yeah, I loved the first ten minutes of it, like crazy, but yeah. <laughs> then... We'll let you talk about that in a second. You're right. So, so the artist, I, the thing that I can't get away from, though, is that do we really reward a movie for taking a step back in technology by 70 years, 80 yeah. years, right? Yeah. So if we're going to call that the best picture, what does that say about the industry in the last 80 years? Because all we're, all we're essentially doing is stepping back in time, yeah. removing sound, we're, we're removing technology from the film. And I admit, what they did was, you know, technically beautiful and in order to get a silent performance and create a movie that really endears itself to the audience. It was a movie yeah. that I really bought into and enjoyed, and I really enjoyed, but what does that say if you're calling that the best movie of the year when you have 80 years worth of technology advances and improvements <laughs> and you're giving yeah. it to a silent film, right? Yeah, I hear you, and it's funny now that I think about it. I mean, we have reviewed or on the podcast we did uh, Brand Upon the Brain uh, yeah. which is another modern movie that was silent and black and white and intended yeah. I don't know if it was necessarily my understanding of the artist is it's intentionally kind of an homage to the times of past or whatever mm -hmm. yeah um, and it's talking Brand about embracing technology Yeah, was probably filmed for different reasons I mean they probably have some things in common but I, I my impression of Brand Upon the Brain was it was not necessarily an homage wholly to the black and white films of the past. It was just more of a... Mm -hmm. uh, with the themes that he was developing, he thought it would work out well. Guy Guy Madin. Um, so, for the artist, do you think that that's what you would choose of the films that you've seen? Uh, do you think that that yeah. will win, or both? I think both. Uh, yeah. So I also saw Midnight in Paris, yeah. which a lot of people come out and say they you know, completely loved. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun movie. I think it, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's probably about a 6 or a 7. Okay. I don't think that's the best movie of the year. That and I look back to Annie Hall and even Manhattan, and I can name about 5 to 10 other Woody Allen movies I like better than Midnight in Paris. Yeah. That I think are more complete movies or more movies where you walk away and say, wow, they really nailed it there. I mean, Midnight in Paris, it's... Uh, you know, slightly gimmicky, I would say, because, you know, he's essentially going back in time to the 20s and seeing all these people and talking, the Owen Wilson character, which is synonymous for the Woody Allen character, yeah. um, he's essentially 
saying that, oh yeah, it was so great back then, you know, all these other people, wouldn't it be great to live in this time, and it's a movie about saying, you know, those times aren't necessarily that much better, you're going to okay. miss out on a lot of stuff that happens yes. now, we only, you know, glamorize those periods now, yep. and it's comfortable for us to do so, but that's not really the case, so that's really kind of the message in that movie, and it was fun, you know, I, I, there's a lot of movies Woody Allen has done recently that are fun like that. There are a lot of movies that are worse, obviously, because yes. in the past ten years he's probably done like two or three really good movies. But yeah, I would say two or three good movies. I'm not a huge Woody Allen fan, as you know, well know, but uh, yeah. my impression is, yeah, that the output as of late has been worser than average <laughs> for him, and uh, in some cases, truly just bad in general. Um, that yeah, Jade, that Jade whatever movie was. Yeah, Scorpion. Scorpion. Yeah, Scorpion. Yeah, I remember some groans being involved there. Sure. Now, Woody has won as a best pitcher, hasn't he? And did, I don't think yes. he won best director. Is that how it worked out with Annie Hall? I think he won best director for Annie Hall. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not gonna get like the makeup of uh, you know we've nominated <laughs> you a few times, so this isn't even your best movie, but you know you're overdue type of a situation. Yeah, it's not gonna be the Martin Scorsese pity. Uh, yes, exactly. Party. Yeah. All right. So, Midnight in Paris. So, the Descendants I saw, which is an Alexander Payne movie. Yeah. You know, the Troubles of Rich White People type movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do like Alexander Payne. Oh, uh, I love Alexander Payne. I I say that tongue in cheek. No, yeah, I, you're probably right. And uh, yeah, it's funny. My parents went and saw that this weekend uh, with my aunt and uncle. And uh, my dad said he fell asleep, and my uncle fell asleep. My mom and uh, aunt both seemed to like it. So. <laughs> Um, yeah. It's no, funny, I'm every George Clooney movie, um, you know, he tends to have, in general, a, a left-leaning slant to a lot of his movies. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Which I'm okay with. I mean, I'm a grown-up. I can watch a movie with anyone's point of view and, and yeah. be cool with it. Um, Same here, brother. And sometimes it makes it more interesting. Uh, like, Syriana, I thought was really interesting and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but... From the topic of the Descendants, I, I don't know if it sounded like it was right up my alley. I don't know if I'm in that place in my life yet where that would be, <laughs> I guess, would be the statement. No, I thought it was good. I thought it was like a lot of Alexander Payne movies. I don't know. I don't think it was Alexander Payne's best film. Yeah. But I found it to be uh, enjoyable in that way that, you know, you can watch a drama and watch these difficult situations that these people are put in. Yeah. It's fairly predictable what happens throughout most of the film. Um, You get good performances from the children. And one thing I always enjoy about Alexander Payne's films is there's this this underlying realism to the films. Like, I always feel when you watch a normal Hollywood movie, all these bit parts are being played by quote-unquote actors. But when I watch an Alexander Payne film, I feel like once you get past the first ten actors... Yes. It's like real people doing their real jobs. Yes. That that's the feeling I get. Even if these are real actors, yeah. there's almost like a realism. Like the the nurse who comes in to assist the mother who's in a coma, right? Yeah. And the things that she says and how she says them, it all sounds very non-acty to me. Yeah. I, I can't think of a better phrase to use for no. that. But you know the people they look real. They don't look like they're off the Hollywood yeah. bus. I'm sure it starts with good writing. You know, I think a lot of good movies start with good writing, and right. uh, and then yeah, you just go into the casting phase and, and put it on film at the same time. It's, it's right. pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, I even think too, like George Clooney's wife in this movie. She doesn't look like Angelina Jolie or anything like that. You know, she looks like 
if George Clooney wasn't an actor yeah. and he was just a guy who was a lawyer in with damn Honolulu hair, yeah, with damn good hair and uh, yeah, a winning grin <laughs> melts hearts like butter. Um, this is probably the type of wife he would have. You right. know, normal looking woman, fa- fairly attractive, but not completely over the top. And I think also too about Schmidt. <laughs> the wife that Jack Nicholson has is yeah. like none, no other wife that Jack Nicholson has had in any <laughs> other movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. I just picture when he's talking about that sound that her bottom makes when it hits the plasticky couch <laughs> and how that was annoying him. And that's the image I have of his wife in that movie before she kicks the bucket. Yeah. But so. yeah, it's one thing I always appreciate about his movies is that realism. And then the next movie that I yeah. saw, Moneyball. Yeah. Yeah, which we have a review on our site with. and uh, We do. I think we do, didn't we? Don't we? I don't know. Oh. And you and the missus went and saw it. Yeah, me and the missus uh, went and saw it. We, uh... No, oh, we we talked about it in the podcast before. Oh, uh, okay, that's it. That's what it was. Okay. We're figuring things out here at the Jackass Critics Podcast. <laughs> um... Yeah, I, I gave my thoughts on that before. Right. Enjoyable. I thought that the sports scenes, not that sports is really at the center of the movie, but all the scenes that they had with the Oakland Athletics players on the field, yeah. they felt like they were filmed with nobody else on the field at all. You could feel that it was completely fake. Yeah. You know, they had this like bat- black background. You could sense that they were on some baseball field somewhere right, in Florida with or you know yeah. the backlights turned on yeah the backlights turned on there's nobody in the stands you can just feel that this is completely fake it doesn't feel like they tried to make it real at all yeah at that I'm point I'd rather them just put in stock footage of actual baseball games yeah. even though the actors don't look like the baseball players themselves yeah it, I don't mean to dwell on that part but yeah. you know Again, it was a it was a fine movie. It was fun. There were some things I really enjoyed about it, and it's a great story. I thought the book was better. Yeah. But you know, that's a cliche saying that the book is better because there's only so much they can cover. But yeah, the only you know, it, sense I would share about that, I was, I was surprised it actually got nominated because I mean, yeah, it, it was fairly well praised, but I thought it had a tough road to hoe, especially with the the topic matter of sports and everything. <laughs> you said oh, <laughs> yeah, I agree though. Yeah. It, Again, it's because they open it up for nine movies. Yeah, money, I don't think that would be Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I just didn't think that the movies this year that I saw, I thought, you know, these are all really good movies. Any other year, I would expect them to get beaten out by a couple other movies. Like that year that No Country for Old Men won, yeah. right? You had the uh, uh, the P.T. Anderson movie. No, Not No Country for Old Men, that's the other movie. Um, the Daniel Day-Lewis film. Yeah, oh yeah, there shall be blood. Or there will there be shall blood. be blood. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, that was another great movie that could have won as well. Yes. I don't sure. feel like those two movies are there unless it's Hugo and Tree of Life, which I haven't seen yet, which is a shame upon me. Yeah. But if it is one of those two movies and I haven't seen them, so yeah. be it. Maybe yeah. they should win. But at the same time, it doesn't look like they're going to win. Yeah. Not that not that the best movie ever really does win, let's be honest. But <laughs> Yeah, when you've got a track record similar to how the Oscars do, obviously. I mean, you can't really tell how timeless something's going to be or how well it's going to age the Titanic. Right. Uh, so you never can tell, really. So anything you want to add to that, Matt? How much no. you loved War Horse? Or... Of... I mean, I only really have a personal knowledge of five of them that we that you mentioned: Descendants, 
Symmetry of Life, extremely loud and uncomfortable. Uh, Hugo and the artist are the only ones I really even personally know all that much about. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tree of Life is the only one that I attempted to watch, and <laughs> as we discussed, I couldn't make it all the way through, which is unfortunate because it started out really amazing for me. Um, Mr. Malik, we talked about even uh, Terrence Malik, Tree of Life, when uh, it was at Can, right? Mm-hmm. At, on a previous podcast, and um, yeah, it started out really, it starts out really amazing with uh, a really creative way to show a person growing up through uh, you know childhood uh, into adulthood and marriage and having children sure. themselves and all sort of fun stuff. Uh, it just is a, a mind blowing creative way to do it. Awesome. Um, I can't heap enough praise on it. And, uh, Sounds like a great movie from start to finish. <laughs> Eventually, Malik takes us back, not you know, to the dawn of time, uh, through long symbolic colors and whatnot. And sure. my my tolerance level just went just went. The meter got pegged, and I couldn't handle it anymore. And from what I understand, when you saw dinosaurs, that's when you shut this thing off. When I saw that, we went back to the dinosaur time, and I think we were going to go back further than that, even to embryos or, or, or whatever floating in water. You know, the little cells and stuff mm-hmm. replicating. Come on, man! The dinosaurs were enough. I mean, right? We go. If it takes more than, if it takes three minutes to go from Brad Pitt being a fully grown man working as an engineer, and we're going back in time to dinosaurs three minutes later. Yeah. Uh, check, please. Check. Wow. Please. Yeah. I See, just couldn't with, handle it. With all the the positive things you said about the beginning of the movie, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't just push through it. I know. Plus, it, it's daunting. I'm looking up at the Great Wall of China in this movie. Uh, it's like two and a half hours long, and I know. All right, I'm 45 minutes in. Yeah. The first 20 minutes were pretty amazing. But I, I suspected, and I think I'm right, that I had about another hour of symbolic colors and dinosaurs ahead of me before we got back. And I don't even... I mean, I, I'm a typical simpleton for the most part. I want a, a typical a narrative and a movie and a plot. But I'm willing to put my brain on hold for a little while. But I couldn't do it with uh, Tree of Life, unfortunately. Right. Ugh. But I really want you to see it so that... A, you can tell me what you think, and B, you can tell me what happens. You want me to take the bullet, in other words. Correct. You want me to uh, invest the two and a half hours. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about that later. And <laughs> uh, I'm surprised, you know, extremely loud and uncomfortably close. You know, the 9-11 stuff is still too fresh for me. <laughs> I apparently need another decade before I'm ready to watch a movie yeah. like that. But I uh, can't watch that Flight 93 movie. There's yeah. no way I, I could watch that. I can't bring myself to do it. Yeah, it's just still too soon, so yeah, I'll be watching those movies, who knows, maybe 10, 20 years from now uh, when I'll be able to, but not yet. And from, from what I hear about that movie, I'm very surprised it did get nominated. I think it's sort of a whole Hollywood, you know, let's clap our hands because we have a story about 9-11 type movie. Yeah. That's the thing I get from it because uh, from most of what I read about it, it sounds like they go out of their way to make you feel <laughs> extremely uncomfortable <laughs> about 9-11 and uh, you know they they really do everything they can to use 9-11 to get you to watch the movie you know it, it feels very cheap in that way yeah very easy to to pull you in yeah dramatically because of that it, it it seems like a very cheap movie to me yeah and maybe it's just 
for you and I, it, it's too soon, or we're still not comfortable yet with it. And if we had an independent perspective, maybe we would change our minds. But uh, it's just something I can't quite yet be independent about or think like I can about Ghostwriter 2 or whatever. I can't have a independent <laughs> mind judge it uh, like yeah. a traditional movie. So, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of documentaries since then. Um, you know, nothing really particular on that specific day, but things leading up to that day and, uh, you know, sure. certainly the war afterwards, uh, you know, something that's really fascinating. Uh, yeah. And I think underappreciated for what's going on, but um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Know, nothing about the, the day of yet. So. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And right, then the rest of the movies, the ones that we didn't see, um, War Horse. Yeah. Again, like Real Steel. I, I don't know if I can watch a movie about a horse. Okay, that is physically about a horse. I I didn't even know. It, it, is it a, like a a fictionalized like that uh, movie with Tobey Maguire? Is it like about an actual horse that is I don't think it is. Okay. I, yeah, I'm I'm not speaking with a whole lot of knowledge. Here, <laughs> Authority. But, uh, yeah. We'll leave it to the Wikipedia or IMDb. Yes. For yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Leave it to the pros. Yeah. But um, you see a preview. You see a horse running. Okay. You see that happen for a long time. You see people talk about the horse and, okay. and pat the horse, and yeah. you see bombs going off around the horse, and you think, "Do I really need this in my life?" <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, two for Ghost Rider three or two. Yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. Right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the Help, which my wife saw. Okay. And from what I heard, they have a lot of <laughs> extremely old. You know, sort of mammy cliches in that movie, so I'm okay. kind of surprised that got nominated. You say the help, and I think of Stanley Tucci on a cover with some fat guy standing next to him, and they're like walking into a house um, to help some lady that's an invalid or something. That's what I think of when you say the word the help, and I don't know why that's coming from. Yeah, that's the movie no. I'm expecting. Uh, Hugo, <laughs> Hugo, which I really want to see. But yeah, that's Marty. Our right? schedules. Yeah, it's Marty. Okay. Our schedules just haven't lined up on that yet. Yeah, even if I'm not too excited about that one, I will have to consume it at some point. Yeah. Okay, and there you have it. That's that's our, our little Oscar wrap-up yeah. and chat, just talking about the movies. That's as good as it's going to get, people. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to harp on it anymore. I think yeah. that was quite a bit. All right. Well, for, you know, we typically talk a little digital media, so uh, instead of uh, one whole bullet, I'm going to do what I call a whole magazine of bullets. We're going to do a lot of little uh, quick bites of Netflix and digital streaming media news. So, the thing that was announced this week, um, Comcast, our friends at Comcast, are launching mm-hmm. a competing service uh, to try to compete with the Netflix streaming uh, offering. Mm. So, they're calling it Stream Picks, which <laughs> I-, I laughed too, and I don't even really know why. My initial reaction is that's a horrible name. And it's P I X, of course, for picks. Um, but as more I think about it, you know, it could be worse, I guess. What I even forget what Stream uh, Picks. I even forget what uh, Netflix was calling their spinoff, you know, two or three months ago when they were going to do one. And I remember that name was pretty awful. If I'm on images.google.com and I search for Stream Picks, oh, I'm really boy. afraid of what's going to show up. Yeah, you yeah. got to clear your cache after that. Oof, yeah. yeah, I think work blocks those websites. <laughs> So their plan is they're going to offer, you know, a subset of movies. Uh, They've already signed a few deals, almost all of which are similar deals that Netflix has. So you're not really getting any new content you couldn't get otherwise, though they don't have all the content Netflix does. Yes? Are are they overlapping with Netflix then? I I just wonder what the exclusivity is. Okay. So far there's been no exclusivity that I've been able to read that we get this, but they don't get that. I see, um, I it's see. It's just a subset of it. 
Um, if you already subscribed to, to the Comcast Triple Play, as in you get all of their offerings that they, you know, try to strong arm you into. Yeah, um, yeah. It's if you pay them two hundred and fifty a month. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and they said that the average is one hundred forty dollars a month for people that subscribe to all of those, which is just absolutely yeah, insane. I mean, before this tax and that tax. That's that's more expensive than most people's gas bill and electricity bill. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Um, if you're not a, a member that gets all of those, then they're going to charge you five bucks for the privilege of seeing less movies than you can see on the Netflix. Oh. Um, and there's not as much accessibility. You know, nowadays, you know, if you buy your typical Blu-ray player in a store, um, you know, it can stream the Netflix movies. Or if you've got mm-hmm. a PlayStation or a Wii or a 360, those can all watch, um, you know, Netflix streaming as well. So basically, you're going to pay five bucks for not... It's coming soon to devices. They haven't announced any yet, and there's no official devices that even support stream picks. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's still growing. Yes. And, and what I, much to my surprise, um, Netflix uh, claims are about at 20 million subscribers, and Comcast um, only has 20 million subscribers. Um, I guess Comcast is dominant in the Midwest, kind of where yeah. we both live. So um, it's so ubiquitous. I assumed they would have 100 million subscribers, but you know, no, once, no. I guess once you get out of the Midwest. Um, yeah, I remember when I was in the South, we had Cox, and they had this program called Cox on Demand, which okay. always got a giggle out of me. Oh, absolutely. And then whatever Mark Cuban owns, I think that's, what, in the West? Yeah, in the South, so probably, yeah. yeah. So, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, other kind of nit- news bits going on. Um, Netflix uh, signed a contract with Stars a couple years ago, and that kind of brought a big array mm-hmm. of kind of more modern movies. Um, but at the end of February 2012, the contract expires and has not been renewed, so all the Stars movies are going away. And all the Disney movies are going away as part of that as well. Um, oh. So they said a lot of their top 10 movies and top 50 movies that people are watching are kind of going to get removed from the service. So we'll see um, what kind of effect that has on the old um, Netflix here. Interesting, yeah. I mean, anytime you lose part of that library, it's yep. uh, it's only going to push people to start looking at yep. other options. And. So far, you know, I don't think anybody's quite ready to grab the crown, though we've got, and it's a good thing that Comcast is launching it, you know, provides a little mm-hmm, more competition, mm-hmm. and we've talked about Amazon kind of offering that as well a little bit, and trying to tie it in and get people to sign up, so good competition's good, and yeah, uh, definitely. so that's kind of some uh, your Netflix news, what's going on in the Netflix world, and we'll see what happens as uh, more and more people get into it. I think, I mean, no matter what, more people are going to get these devices and check it out, so that's the way things are heading. Yeah, I mean, the big thing about Netflix is, yeah. as you alluded to, it's global. Yep. Right, and in the United States, it covers all 50 states. And yes, you talk about some, something like Comcast, yeah. you know, it's very regional until these cable companies start gobbling each other up. Yeah. Um, it, it's always going to be that way, so yeah. I think Netflix is always going to have a little bit of that advantage yeah. in that... You know, they if they're competing against one person in this market, the other person in the other market might not have the same Advantages, tools. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but I'll be curious to see where this goes in the future, because 
it might be easier for a lot of people to bundle their their costs for movies like this into their cable bills. So yeah. if all of them do start to get catch up and get on the same plane, it may push Netflix out or yeah, yeah who knows what happens. Netflix. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious yeah. if they get to the point where Netflix offers themselves as a service to the cable companies themselves. You know, we'll build you a Netflix app to put onto your Comcast cable boxes and let's have an agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that'd be great for the consumer. You'd have, you know, one kind of powerhouse. I mean, not that you just want that exclusively in a monopoly-type market, but if you got the one powerhouse, they can sign the contracts and get good good content. I mean, people mm-hmm. are going to like that. And, uh, you know, if the price is right, you know, let's uh, start. And basically, your cable box today is, is a computer. I mean, just like your phone yeah. and everything else. Uh, yeah. You can deploy apps onto it and all sort of fun stuff. So uh, the future I would like to see is a future where, you know, the Netflix of the world and maybe the Boxies of the world and Roku's of the world, you know, those are all kind of personal set-top boxes. Um, they kind of become applications and they don't get, they get out of the hardware business maybe and then offer their applications available to, you know, these devices you've already got hooked to your TV or to, into the TV themselves, bake it right yeah. in. Um, and then just these, we got the division of people make hardware, your, your set-top boxes and your TVs, and then you've got these companies writing these apps and signing the, the licensing deals and Mm-hmm. You know, there's all sorts of cool apps going on in the world, you know. If yeah. It's a good time to be an Iranian person living in America because you just grab one of these boxes, uh, a Roku box or a Boxy box, and there's an app on there that's streaming television from Iran into your house yep. in Chicago or whatever. I mean, it's pretty slick. Yeah, you hook up your Al Jazeera, you're all set. Yeah, literally. Literally, yeah, you can no. watch it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And, and like the Blu-ray players are already getting into the multiple applications. Yeah. You can get Netflix on the Blu-ray. You can get YouTube on the Blu-ray. You can have your Blu-rays on the Blu-ray. Yeah. It's pretty cool, though. Uh, the Roku box, they've published their API so anyone can make a channel. So who knows? Ah. You know, someday we start building up enough content here on Jackass Critics, we can have a Roku Jackass Critics channel. And, you know, Absolutely. For, I mean, that, that is our future. Yeah. yeah. That's where we're heading. Very cool. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. And that was that was your media mode segment. That was the media segment. Yeah. Absolutely the magazine great. Full of bullets. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. One last thing I wanted to talk about, Matt. Shoot, Tom. One movie I did see on my airplane flight. Yes. Into Japan was Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah. And if anything, in Jackass critics, we are topical, so we talk about the movies as they come out. So yep. Inglorious Bastards. What year is it, Matt? 2012, where I'm at. Okay, so I'm is a little bit. 2012 behind. in Japan, too? It is. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Yes. Slightly right. ahead of you, but we're still 2012. All right, fair enough. Okay, so, yes, yeah, so Jackass Critics, we talk about a movie, whether it's relevant or not. That's and right. Inglorious Bastards, I finally saw completely for the first time. Yes, all right. Slightly shameful, I'll admit, Matt, because back in the day, I know you were a big champion of Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino even. Yeah. Even pre Pulp Fiction, yes. And uh, and I got on board after you showed me the way. Yeah, cool. Yes. And we were Tarantino fans for quite quite some time. And were it you took just me like were Tom? Were well. Oh. <laughs> Tarantino sort of dropped off a little bit. Um, okay. His movies are probably difficult to watch in the family realm. Yes, yes, that would be first statement. There's multiple uncomfortable moments. Yeah, per minute, basically, yes. Yeah. yeah. So let me just start with Inglorious Bastards. Yes. I love the movie. Wow, I love I thought movie. it was, yeah, I thought it was really well done, very cinematic. I think with, with Inglorious Bastards, he probably made maybe his best movie yet, or wow. one of his most complete movies. 
it's easy to watch from start to finish. It's long, it's two and a half hours, but yeah. it never really felt like it was long. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I agree completely, yeah. Um... Okay, so let, let me go to my hang-ups real quickly here, All right? Because right? they're in the back of my mind. They're sort of tapping at my door. So, hang-up number one. Yeah. These certain scenes towards the end where they had a David Bowie soundtrack played over the Julia Dreyfus character putting on lipstick. All right. It's just the, too get... jarring with the time period differential and, and whatnot? Yeah, and it just seems so unnecessary and over the top, and why not keep that moment being a little bit more silent or play some music that you've been using in the rest of the film yeah. up from that period? Yes. That seemed to be a little bit over the top for Tarantino me. Tarantino can't d- help himself. With, when a woman springs into action, I mean, they could kill Bill or whatever, <laughs> right? he cannot help himself and put in some jazzy music there. But yes, continue. Yeah, yeah, so they did another one of those scenes as uh, she dies at the end in the classic Mexican shoot-off. Right. Uh, towards the end with, what's his name, Frederick Zoller. Yes. And, um, yeah, they played some of the same type of music at that point, and All I right. thought, why? Yeah. Just, why Why was that really necessary? Yeah, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. So that was one of my hang-ups, just... Okay. Very brief, small hang-up. Yeah. If you remove that from the movie, you change that up. I mean, yeah. it's it's almost like a near-perfect film. But wow, what, holy cow. One of the things that I really like about his, his, this movie was that what is the best part of most movies? It's the introduction, right? Yeah, yeah. And with this movie, they, they introduce uh, Christoph Waltz yes. for being in the movie, uh, Hans Landa. And that whole scene... And what's his nickname? Is it it's something like the, the Jew Hunter? Or he's the, like it's that? the Jew Hunter, yes. Okay, alright. And uh, yeah, he's introduced in that scene, and the way he interrogates the family, and the way he brings about it, it the drama just builds. He, you know, he changes in between languages. His yes. questions just getting to the point, like you know where he's going to get by the end of this, you know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. The tension building with the Frenchman, and he's thinking about his, uh, you know, the family, uh, his family. His, his three daughters and how they'll get harassed and yeah. this quandary that he's living with the tears building up in his eyes an amazing scene you could you could open up ten separate movies with that same scene and they would all be great movies right I'm with you and then you get to the next scene with the Inglorious Bastards right yeah. and it's just another introduction and yeah. another beautiful introduction and then later on you go back to Paris where the lady's being reintroduced, but it's like her next life. That's like a new introduction. Yeah. And then you get to the Michael Fassbender character, and when he's having drinks. I mean, there's just so many wonderful scenes in the yeah. movie, all played out, all pulled out. It's not only the camera work, but it's also the script, because Tarantino just put a lot of time into yes. the script to make yeah. sure that these scenes were just so tightly written. Each character had its own development, right? The scene where he's being interrogated, uh, Michael Fassbender, for the accent that he uses, yeah. and the way the captain is just sort of like looking at him. He knows what he's he needs to get at, and he's just sort of extracting things from him in that uncomfortable moment. Yeah. I mean, there are just so many brilliant scenes in the whole movie that yeah. it, it was just incredible. And then, yeah. minor complaint? Oh, okay, drop it. Right, okay. The Jew Bear? Yeah. 
I was expecting some 6'5", 280-pound grizzly bear of a Jew coming out with a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. And the dude that comes out, I didn't picture him as a bear. Yeah. That's Minor a, complaint. That's Eli but, Roth, too, the director of Hostel and all that crap. Oh, that's, that was Eli Roth. That okay. Eli Roth, yeah. You know, it's... And then, it, yeah, go ahead. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting, while you bring up Eli Roth being in that movie, because I did yeah. see his name, right? and I thought, wow, I thought he was like the hostile director, yeah, yeah, he's funny. an actor. I, I didn't know who he was or what he looked like. Right. I saw Michael My- Mike Myers' name scroll across the credits, and my initial response to that was, oh, there's another actor named Mike Myers, because yeah. Mike Myers couldn't possibly be in Inglorious Bastards, and then boom, he shows up as like this British sergeant, and I yeah. thought, wow, that is just perfect. Yeah, it's funny, it's... I remember seeing, like, Alec Baldwin in Thin, Thin Red Line or whatever. It, it just reminded me of the same thing. Like, oh, out of the blue, oh, shit, that's Alec Baldwin. Or that's Michael Myers. Or Mike Myers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you ask me, if you walk up to me on the street or we're just we're just bullshitting about Quentin Tarantino, you know, mm-hmm. the picture in my mind is Quentin Tarantino doing some white powdery substance, staying up for four days, partying with, you know, like, there's three little people... Um, there's probably a circus and, like, an elephant or something in the room. Right. Just, you just imagine Quentin Tarantino doing crazy shit all the time when he isn't making movies. Yeah, That's he's surrounded by all of this, and <laughs> yeah. in the middle of it, he's writing seven hours worth of script for a single film, right? Yeah, you know, you You're just Working through, like, a 48-hour day. Correct. But you know, I, I you definitely... I think everyone underrates Quentin Tarantino, especially as a scriptwriter, and that's saying a lot because I think there's probably a lot of respect for him. You know, when you look at the movies, uh, it's like kind of trying to separate the persona of Quentin Tarantino and the end product. Um, yes. Because if you told me the initial scene of when you say when you said you saw Inglorious Bastards, the first thing that popped in my mind was the Jew hunter going into the first family's house and oh, sitting yeah. down and having his calm discussion. And if you told me that Quentin Tarantino worked on that that one scene that probably was 15 pages, mm-hmm. if you told me he worked on that for seven months, you know, 12 hours a day, and went over that scene, you know, literally a thousand times in his head, I would believe you, because that doesn't just happen. You don't just craft a scene that is that long and that intense mm-hmm. and that well-paced. I mean, it doesn't happen. If that took... And that was strange too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's just brilliant. I'm getting goosebumps as you're talking about it right now. It, it just doesn't happen, and I, I think he's probably criminally underrated to be able to uh, craft a scene like that. It doesn't yeah. just happen. That doesn't just happen. So. Yeah. No, I, I think part of the problem too is that he creates a scene like that. And then he turns around, and the bear juice starts clubbing people in the brain with there's a baseball brain bat. Coming out, right. And yeah, there's a swastika carved into someone's head at the very end of the movie, and you see the blood coming out of his head because he creates these uncomfortable moments in every film yeah. where you're just sitting there watching someone mutilate another person. And to me, it's always one of those moments where I really want to look away, and I oftentimes do, or at least, you know, squint my eyes because I don't want to take it all in. (laughs) And I think that's where you talk about him being underrated. I think that's why. If If he removed a lot of that from his movies... I think a lot of people would look at them in a completely different way. But yeah, it's, you know. it's easier to be dismissive of the rest of the work, I guess. If you that immediately turns you off, you can dismiss everything else because it made you uncomfortable or whatever. 
Right. Uh, the I mean, only thing in, I... in, yeah. yeah. In every movie, he has one of those scenes, right? In Pulp Fiction, it's when she ODs yeah. and blood starts coming out of her nose, or, you know, when Vin Rames is... Um, Taking it. Taking it. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. the cutting off the ear scene in Kill Bill, right? There's right. the scalping. And for me, the worst part about Kill Bill 2 is when she's in the coffin being buried and dirt's being thrown on top of it and you hear the dirt and I'm thinking oh my god I need to turn this off because I'm uh, just get shivering in my yeah, pants yeah. and then scalping just sitting there watching someone get scalped or having someone have a swastika carved into their forehead <laughs> it makes it tough for people to watch yeah. but I completely agree with you about just working there. You, yeah, you tell me that he's working on that for seven months on that opening scene. Right. I believe it. He, he's working on writing it. He's working on how the framing's going to be. I mean, there's that frame where Shoshana's running away. Yeah. And you see, like, the blackness of the outline and the door with all the light coming through it. And it looks like, what is it, John Wayne and uh, the searchers as he's okay. yeah. looking out the door. Right? It, it, you feel like these throwbacks or... You see the white laundry waving in the wind, and as you peel away the laundry, you see the the Germans coming up in their cars, and yeah. you know this tense Maybe. moment as that happens. Like all these just little parts yeah. of that scene that are coming together, and it's just pure magnificence. Very, very well done. Yes, sir. That movie co- should have probably won the Best Picture that year. I don't know wow. what it was up against, yeah. and I remember, and I remember seeing it. I, Thinking really, Inglorious Bastards. That movie yeah. is going to be nominated for an Oscar. You know, with Brad Pitt and his Nazis. Yeah. And Eli yeah. Roth clubbing people in the head like a baby seal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Teddy fucking Williams out of pot. <laughs> We're going to yeah. look up and see what was the uh, nominated that year. That'll be on on the Twitter later. Yeah, yeah, it was very recent, and uh, yeah. oh yeah, well, there were just so many things to like about that movie. The the way they switched back and forth between different languages, and and how that just all worked, and it felt so genuine. It felt not like you were watching a normal movie about World War Two filmed by some U.S. director. It felt like you were watching something very genuine with real actors speaking their language. And yeah. Captured the we could make, better than average. Yeah. We could make a full podcast on Inglorious Bastards, but yes, yeah. Put it on Wonderful. the list. Put it on the list. Yeah. Okay, Matt. Right, do you have any more bullets left, or did we no, clear sir. the chambers? I want to catch you on the flip side. Is what I want to do. Yeah. So that was bullets in the chamber. Damn. Thank you very much for that conversation. I forgot we were recording. I thought we were just having ourselves a delightful conversation, Matt. <laughs> it was a delightful little conversation, sir. Yeah. When people used to have conversations, whatever that means. Whatever Sounds that like means something. these days. Yeah. Okay, so that was our the first segment of uh, Podcast 9, I believe we're up to. Nueve. So yes. we will catch everyone on the flip side with the Part B of Podcast 9, where we talk about Pick Up on South Street. Pick Up on South hope, Street. All right. Hope you enjoy and hope to see you on the flip side. All right.